listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Um, It is unreal how much you love us. Father, forgive me for the times I thought I had to perform. Um, Forgive me, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, because in that performance, Lord, uh, I thought more of me than I did of you. And so, Lord, I, I just submit this time to you and I surrender my heart, my mind, my words. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, Lord, that... Uh, Let the words that are spoken be covered in your blood so it's filtered the appropriate way to the hearts of your people. My desire is to live a life of surrender, and I know, Lord, I get in my own way. But I pray um, that your spirit supersedes my failings. So, Lord, have your way. Um, We acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your movement. We acknowledge your activity. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to use as a backdrop um, what I've been sharing, what I opened up about uh, regarding what God has been trying to teach me. And what he's been pressing into me. And it's, you, you're very familiar with it. Um, I'm sure some of you probably have it on your, your mirrors in your bathrooms. Or uh, maybe uh, it's on a, one of your daily calendars or whatever. And you'd like that one and you took it off and said, I'm going to keep that one. And maybe you posted it on uh, your rearview mirror in your car. Whatever the case may be. Or somewhere it's stuck on your Bible. But it's, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's the backdrop that I want to use for us today. And it simply says in these words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Am I the only one in the room that has trouble with that? <laughs> and when you hear trust in the Lord with all your heart, um, there's a part of our own will that starts to connect with that, if you will. And you remember when you were a kid and you used to wish for something? You said, I'm going to wish for it with all my might. You close your eyes, you grit your teeth, and you hope that whatever you're wishing for comes true. And when you read this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it's it's almost kind of that same mindset that I'm going to just will myself to trust in God. Mm. And you find out that it really doesn't work because something happens in your life that you begin to rely on your own devices but you think it's God leading you that way. And then you 
get to the end of that and it's like, God, I, I trusted you. How come it didn't work out? And the Lord reminds us, no, you, were, you trusted me up to a point. But there's more of your character that I need and desire to develop in this. As we use Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I want us to also look at Genesis. Um, And in the book of Genesis, we run into a character by the name of Joseph. I'm just going to read a little bit about the story of Joseph, uh, just to kind of his origin. He's the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. As Jacob began to settle, he began to have sons, and one of those sons, his youngest at the time, was a young man by the name of Joseph. In Genesis 37, it says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family tree. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Basically, he was diamond out his brothers. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I mean, imagine being in a family and your your parents, particularly your father, plays a favorite. Anybody have that? You're the favorite child? Yeah. Um, My my son here said he is. Um, And... uh, um, Imagine the pressure that would put on you and imagine what that would feel like coming from the heat of your other siblings. Anybody here the youngest in their family? Yeah, I, I am too. Um, I have um, five older siblings. And so I can relate to Joseph in many ways because I'm a dreamer um, and I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. But I also know what it's like to be picked on. How many are older siblings in this room? And see, you are horrible. And I'm just, <laughs> I just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I, my, my sister is the second oldest. And every, I only have one sister. And, you know, there's six of us. And Everybody would always, every time I tell them I have one sister, they're like, oh, that poor girl. I'm like, no, <laughs> she's evil. <laughs> and, and we get along now, but uh, there's a time where, man, I used to pray a lot, <laughs> uh, vindictively. Um, but I can remember as a kid, she was babysitting us, and we had a landline. For those of you who are... Um, under 25, there used to be these things in our house. Um, they were called phones. <laughs> and you could talk on them like a cell phone. But anyway, um, what she would do, she would dial a number in and hang it up, and then it would ring back into the house. You guys remember doing that? Yeah, that was always fun. But uh, what she would do, she would do that, and then she would grab an oven mitt, 
And then she'd pick up the receiver and she would hold it out from her face. And she, her eyes would get real big and then she'd call me to the phone. Now, I'm like five. Now, you know, I know a lot of people at five I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I was close to my kindergarten class, whatever, but they weren't calling me, you know. And, and so I'm wondering who's calling me. And I look at her and I say, who's calling? And she's like, it's the devil. Oh. Evil. <laughs> right? See, the oldest siblings are laughing at that because, and you're thinking, man, I wish I had a landline and so I could do that now. Anyway, but Joseph, who is, who's in the situation where his father looks at him and says, you're the favorite and I'm going to make a coat for you so that everybody knows every single day that you put that coat on that you're my favorite. That's terrible parody. But in the midst of all this, in verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, how many of you know what Joseph was doing in this? He was bragging. He was being boastful. And probably because he was like, you know, I'm sick of being picked on, and I am the favorite, so you guys are going to bow down to me one day. God said it. Provoking that angst that's inside of their older siblings to judge him all the more. His brother said to, to, said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and at this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We're going to pause there on Joseph's story, and I'll fill in the gaps as we, as we move along. But really what I want to talk to you about is our dreams and our journey to our destiny. What you need to understand, what we need to understand, what Kevin needs to understand is that God gives us a dream. And he gives us a dream because he wants us to embrace our assignment. And our assignment will lead to our destiny. See, our dreams, and we look at this and say, oh, I have a dream, but this is not about us chasing after our own fantasies. Really, what it's all about is about us embracing what God is exposing and revealing to us about what he's doing in the world. Amen. Amen? God has a kingdom mindset because he's a king. And he wants to invite us into that mindset because, and we know that because as we become followers of Jesus Christ, he freely gives us the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ always thinks kingdom first. Unfortunately, we get tunnel vision. We as individuals, we, we have this tendency to only think about what's best for us, what's good for us. And we make choices and we make decisions without any regard to anybody else around us. And we, we think that because we, we are self-preservationists at, at heart. We always want to do what's best for us. 
And then God begins to move us along our journey. How many of you know our our journey from our dream to our destination is not a linear journey? Don't you wish it was? Don't you wish that God would give us a dream and then all of a sudden we say, okay, step one. It doesn't work that way. And in spite of all the church growth conferences we go to, all the other things that involve us, all the academia that's involved that you have to have a plan. And and it's great to have a plan. We need to have a plan. But understand that plan needs to be submitted to spirit. Because Jesus is free to do in us and through us for what's best for us. And so Joseph has this dream. Now, it It's interesting that he points out that Joseph was only 17 years old when he had the dream. There's not many times in Scripture where there's an age given for the character that's being uh, um, highlighted in that Scripture. But there's a reason why I believe that it's pointed out that Joseph is 17. What do you think those are? I'll I'll tell you, from my my own guesstimation is a 17-year-old is no way... (laughs) my kids are past 17, but my 21-year-old son is in no way (laughs) spiritually mature enough to handle the revelation that God gave him. In Joseph's young 17-year-old mind, he was like, yeah, my siblings and my dad are going to worship me. Just as it should be. (laughs) Well, God was only beginning the process. What we need to understand about dreams, first and foremost, is that dreams are God's invitation for us to see the world through his eyes. It's amazing to me as Joseph shares his dream to his brothers and to his, his, his dad that they were able to get the interpretation right away. They knew they were talking about them. That's pretty interesting. What I mean by that is that sometimes we have dreams and uh, God gives us a revelation and it seems crazy. And sometimes it's like, man, I had a dream. I think I ate some bad pizza last night. And then we have these crazy dreams, but oftentimes God speaks to us in our slumber in order to invite us into what he's doing. And it doesn't make sense at all. It's just kind of this crazy, bizarre thing. But we have to trust God to paint the picture for us. If we try to apply our own understanding to the dream that God gives us, man, oh man, everybody in the world, even ourselves, will look at us, you're crazy. By the way, following your dream in the first place is going to make you look crazy anyway. And there's going to be people that are going to come along, they're going to try to kill your dream. And they're going to, the, the enemy is going to use people in your life that you love, that you trust, that you have relationship with to kill the dream that's inside of you. They're not intending to do that because they think they're doing something uh, um, for, for kingdom's sake. But oftentimes, our dream scares other people 
Because other people, uh, we've gotten so comfortable in being with the status quo and just doing the same thing over and over again. I get in trouble all the time for stuff like this, and, and I hang out with a lot of pastors, and I get in a lot of conversations, and some of the times I listen to those conversations, I'm like, man, this is just ridiculous. I can't believe I'm actually in the same business as you. And I hear some of the stuff, and I hear these conversations, and I hear this talk about church, and it's interesting because if you've ever been in a circle like that, every pastor asks every other pastor the same question. What you running? They always want to know how big your church is because somehow, some way, that gives you some sort of credibility with the person you're talking to. And imagine this: if you you're in a conversation with another pastor and say, "How much you running?" You say, "Oh, three. <laughs> They're gonna stop talking to you, and you know that. So now there's this pressure to lie. Oh, mm, three hundred thousand. <laughs> really? What's the name of your church? Oh, you haven't heard of it. <laughs> and so it's interesting as I was in these circles and I get asked this question and I'm just listening and I'm like, I remember being in this conversation with this group of pastors and there was 12 of us. We're sitting around this table and the conversation, the facility of this conversation said, hey, I'm going to go around the table and I want to find out what everybody's vision is for their church. And I purposely went last because I wanted to hear what everybody else was saying. And I was listening to 11 other guys share their vision for their church. And you know what? Not any of the 11 matched. I was blown away by that. I thought, that is so bizarre. If this is a God vision, don't you think there would be some common threads that would be woven together and somehow we would figure out a way that we need to kind of connect with one another so that your vision gets, gets, uh, um, gets off the ground and, and you be able to pursue and, and, and succeed in your vision? Maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe that's why I'm around the table to help you discover and pursue your vision. But no, what happens in those circles is, no, it's my vision. I have to keep that, and, and I don't care, really care what you're doing. I'll pray for you. God bless you. I thought it was so bizarre that those kind of things happen, and I'm sitting around this table, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, and it finally gets to me, and, and they said, Kevin, what's your vision? And I started laughing. I said, this is funny to me. And they said, why? I said, why? And I shared with them exactly what I just shared with you. How come there's not this common thread? How come we're not connecting somehow? How come we're putting all this pressure on one another to try to pursue this thing and we get ourselves in trouble all the time? Because what happens is our dreams become our fantasies and not our assignment. And we start trusting in our own ways instead of leaning upon the Lord. We need to understand that first and foremost that our dreams are inspired by God, not us. And they're his invitation to join us, to join him, I should say, in what he's doing in the world. Along with that, there's going to be people who are going to try to come and kill your dreams because your dream is going to scare somebody. And the reason why it scares people because your dream means that you've listened to God. 
I read this study several years ago. It was put out by Barna, and uh, this was shocking. They polled pastors across the nation, and they asked them, how much time do you spend reading your Bible per week? How much time do you spend praying per week? Any guesses on what those numbers were? All right. Well, you're beating most of the pastors in our country. (laughs) The average amount of time that pastors spent reading their Bible was 15 minutes a week. Does that shock anybody else? 15 minutes a week. I don't read very fast. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I read something and I'm like, I have ADD, so I'm like... Oh, man. Oh, Joseph. Bert. (laughs) Anybody else do that? Yeah. And so it might take me 15 minutes just to read three verses. Just because of my own ADD. 15 minutes a week spending time in the Word, and then you stand in front of people and you preach to them? No wonder things are so crazy and out of sorts for us. They spent the same amount of time praying per week. That's fascinating to me. And so here's people who are leading us that are supposed to be leading us to the cross that aren't spending time listening to God. So when you listen to God and you hear God's vision for your life, it's going to scare those who aren't listening. Because what's going to happen is like, and we know it because we hear this all the time. We have these dream killers in our life. We share our dreams. We share our vision. We share our passions with one another. And they say, I don't think that's going to work. Well, have you thought of this? What's your backup plan? The next time I hear that, I'm going to punch somebody in the throat. I'm going to. You see, here's the problem. I think here's what happens. When you share your dream and somebody else says, what's your backup plan? I think conviction starts happening inside of them. And that conviction inside of them says, man, I might have to help you. And I don't really want to, I don't want to really get out of my own way in order to help you, help you pursue your dream. So have you, do you have a backup plan? That way I don't have to help you. But in Joseph's case, it was totally different. His brothers hated him. And they wanted not only his dream to die, they wanted him to die. And so what they decided to do, they, they concocted this plan as his dad sends him out and says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers because they're, they're tending the flocks. Go check on your brothers and give, bring back a good report for me. Well, when he goes out, he's wearing his coat. <laughs> That's a sign of pride, by the way. Joseph, bro, why do you need to wear your coat all the time? You know, I can imagine if you're like nine, because nine-year-olds never take anything off. Amen. And I don't understand how they can't smell. Oh, my goodness. Especially middle school kids. Oh, my. Look, there's like eight inches from here. How do you not smell that? So Joseph is wearing it because he goes out, and his brother's like, oh, here comes the dreamer. <laughs> They're worse than my sister. They're like, let's kill him. I don't think my sister ever had that thought, hopefully. (laughs) But they're like, let's kill him. And they all thought it was a good idea. They're like, okay. 
was that a talk among siblings? How was that a, a legitimate conversation amongst brothers? Yeah, let's kill our brother. Well, Reuben's not there, and he comes in, he said, wait a minute, guys, we can't kill him. Let's just throw him in a cistern, because that's better. So they throw him in a pit, but Reuben's thought was, I'll go rescue him after everybody else leaves. But Reuben was too late. He gets there, and Joseph is already sold into slavery. His brothers, his brothers that were wanting to kill him, they kind of have a change of heart, and they say, well, let's just sell him into slavery. That's better. Just, just get rid of the problem. Let's hide it. I've done stuff like that. I try to hide my mistakes. Anybody else do that? I try to hide my faults. Ask my wife. Our first conversation, hey. <laughs> our very first date and our very first conversation, I was the man, the best man she ever met. I let her know. She will never meet another one like me. And she says, amen. <laughs> Not that that's a good thing. <laughs> anyway. And so here, here, here's this situation where it's like, let's just get rid of him. Let's just, let's just do away with our problem. I've done stuff like that. I just want to get a deal, not deal with my issues anymore. And I don't want anybody else bringing them up. And don't you get mad when somebody else brings up the stuff you try to hide? Because you've been lying. You've lied to yourself and you told this lie repeatedly over and over again. And then somebody finds you out and you get mad at them for exposing you. It's kind of bizarre how we do that. Instead of thanking God, you know, God, thank you for not allowing me to continue down this pathway of destruction. Thank you for opening and exposing me in this situation because you have what's best for me. And in order for me to to really fulfill my assignment and to reach my destiny, I can't have that in my life. So thank you for bringing that to the surface. Uh, You know, that takes probably about 20 times for that to happen before you do that. Because the first time all we do is come up with a better lie. Well, these guys are trying to get rid of their brother. They sell him to slavery. He ends up in a, a man's house called Potiphar, who's an Egyptian. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Jacob, his father, whose favorite son, didn't come back. Imagine what that man felt when, and the guilt that he felt because he's the one who sent his son out, thinking he was doing a good thing. How many times do you think you're doing the good, a good thing or doing the right thing and it ends up uh, spinning out, on, out of control on you? And then all of a sudden you look to God and say, God, where were you? How come you didn't keep me from this? Well, here's the reality. <laughs> all this is ordained. God began Joseph's journey when he gave him the dream. When Joseph was sent out to check on his brothers, even though his brothers were plotting evil, none of that took God by surprise. God heard the conversation that his siblings were having about him. And he knew they wanted to kill him, so God put a Reuben in that circle and said, no, let's just put him in a cistern. Well, you might be thinking, that cistern, that's, ho- that's horrible. 
Well, God also provided some Midianites to come along the pathway as Joseph was there because you never know how long Joseph could have survived in that cistern. How, maybe he would have panicked, but all of a sudden people come along and, and, and God ordains a moment where his brother says, oh, instead of leaving there, let's sell him. Because if he would have stayed there, he would have died. So they sell him. God had the Midianites in mind, but you might think, man, slavery, that's horrible for a person. But see, God is so perfect. He's so good, and he always does things for our benefit. He also had Potiphar in mind. He'd been talking and preparing Potiphar. There's a slave coming to your house. He has my favor upon him. I don't think Potiphar got that. There's no way he could have, but Potiphar's house was being prepared for Joseph long before. And there's things that are being prepared for you that you don't even know, that you don't even understand, that you can't even see, you can't comprehend. But God has revealed something inside of you. There's a passion stirring in each side, inside of each one of us that's saying, man, I just need to continue to need to pursue that direction. But there's fear because there's been dream killers in your life trying to kill your dream. And you said, no, I'm not going to go down that pathway anymore because it hurts too much. But understand, there's a pot for waiting for you. So he gets into Potiphar's house, and things are going well for him. Potiphar trusts him. He said, I trust you with everything except my woman. (laughs) But Mrs. Potiphar had other things in mind. They said Joseph was handsome. My son thinks he looked like him. (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. You shouldn't have sat up front, and that's why I'm picking on you. <laughs> I have to admit, my, I, he's a good looking kid. Oh, my kids are beautiful. Thank God I have a hot wife. Um, so <laughs> kind of works out for me. Mrs. Potiphar sees Joseph and is like, mm, Joseph, you fine. <laughs> you know, Mr. Potiphar, he gone. <laughs> he ain't going to be back for a while. And so she starts making all these advances towards Joseph. And Joseph says, you know, the master of this house, he's giving me charge over everything except for you. Now, suppose if Joseph had low character, he probably would have said, you know what, girl, we can do this thing. Ain't nobody going to know. It's just between you and me, right? We all have those secret spaces in our life. Where we think, no one's ever going to know about this. God really won't care. It's just this one time. And one time turns into four. And then it becomes habitual. And then you're telling lies about our lies. And we don't ever want that to get out. See, I wish... I had the character of Joseph. I don't. I'm more like David. I'm trying to figure out what I can get away with. Joseph is this man of high character. He says, you know, look, girl, you fine and all? She had to have been because it wouldn't have been a temptation, you know. You fine and all, but you 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 my boss's woman. I can't go down that road. That's awesome. Because far too many of us, especially in our culture, compromise ourselves for something far less. 
And in this situation, it's exciting to know that Joseph didn't lean on his own understanding, but he trusted in the Lord. And see, what happens when we lean not on our own understanding, but we acknowledge God and we submit to him, he will begin to make our pathway straight. Do you really know what that means? This, is it. this isn't really God creating this narrow pathway for us and saying, go ahead. We have to navigate through that and be careful and make sure we don't fall off the path. We put way too much pressure on ourselves. Really what, this, what God is saying in, in, in Proverbs 3 and 5, he's saying, look, I just want you to admit that the pathway you've been on, you screwed it up. And you keep getting off course. And you keep thinking there's a shortcut to your destiny. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to create a clear and wide pathway like an eight-lane highway for you so that there's no mistaking that you're on the right road and that you are headed towards your destiny. Even if you get stuck in California traffic, <laughs> this is still the best route for you. Even if, you, even if you're mad at ways because they sent you the wrong way, just stay the course because you will arrive to your destination. And along the way, you have no idea of who you might run into along this journey. Yesterday, I had to take my mom to urgent care. She's fine. She was, it was just her getting her medication uh, refills. And so we're there and I walk into uh, urgent care and, and I'm standing in line and this woman comes, she stand, actually she's already in there and she's standing there and I notice she's not moving her right arm. Her right arm's just kind of stiff and she's kind of doing stuff with her left arm and, and she, you could tell she's in a, a lot of pain and, and I'm standing and I'm watching her and I'm, you ever have those moments where you know God is saying, I want you to do something here and you're like, no, don't do this now. <laughs> Ever happened to you? So that happened yesterday for me. I'm there, and the Lord's like, dang, you brought me here to pray for people. I don't want to do this. There's football on. <laughs> the Michigan game is getting ready to come on a little bit. I got to get home and watch this. And you want me to, I don't want to pray for people. So I'm standing and I'm watching this woman as I'm standing and watching them. And this is coming over my mind. I'm like, man, I want to pray. I, I, I don't want to pray for her, but I know. Spirit of God, you're telling me to. And I'm standing there, there's this other family that came in and they're sitting on these chairs to my left and there's this little girl. She's probably about four or five years old and she's laying, laying on her grandma and you could tell she's, she's just sick and she's lethargic and she looks up at me and she reaches out her hand and she says, touch me. I said, huh? She said, touch me. And I went over to her and I knelt down and I said, sweetheart, what's your name? She said, Syriana. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And I prayed for her and this big old smile came across her face. And I said, do you feel better? She said, uh-huh. Well, that yes, because... 
I embraced the dream that God gave me, and I accepted the invitation through his dream. I started along on my journey, which gave me the assignment to my destination. And along the way, I met Syriana. I, got able, I was able to pray for her. Now that boldness and seeing her get well gave me boldness to say, okay, now I can pray for this woman. So we're out in the parking lot, and this woman, she's in the parking lot, and her windows are down. I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, I'm all right. My, and she's not moving. She's trying to turn her car on and shift gears with her right arm. And I said, what's wrong with your right arm? She says, well, I think it's carpal tunnel. Matter of fact, I know it's carpal tunnel. I said, like, well, can I pray for you? She said, yeah. So I reached in her car. That was kind of creepy. Probably don't want to do that. <laughs> I live in San Bernardino, so you probably won't want to do that. <laughs> But she seemed to be okay with it. So I reached in and, I, and I, I prayed for her carpal tunnel. And she said, thank you. And I said, no, don't thank me. Check it out. And her hand was stiff and she started doing this. And she said, sir, I couldn't do this before. The pain is gone. That's part of the journey. So when we get stuck in traffic, it's not God messing with us. It's God fulfilling an assignment. It's him opening up the pathway and making our pathway straight. Because there's no way that we're ready to jump from dream to destiny. Because most of us cannot handle that. Because I'm just telling you, pride is hard to deal with. And so God humbles us along the way. And it begins to break us down so the coat gets taken off of us. And so we no longer have to, we no longer rely on the thing that got us there. We have to rely on God. And as we rely on God, the more and more we do that, the more and more that pathway becomes clear. And what used to be real wide becomes real clear. He's like, I don't even have to veer to the right or to the left anymore. I can just continue going straight. And we get to meet God in these Kairos moments of our lives where he interrupts us and we, we, we're not upset anymore. We understand that God isn't picking on us, but God is inviting us and he's embracing us and he's saying, it's going to be okay. You are on the right pathway. That's good news. But it's frustrating for us who, who've had this dream you know, maybe you're, you're my age and you had a dream at 17 and all of a sudden all these dream killers came in and started killing your dream and now you're my age and it's like, nah, I've given up on my dream. Don't ever do that. Don't ever stop dreaming. Don't ever stop embracing it and, and accepting the invitation that God has given you because there's more at stake than just your feelings. There's far more at stake than just that. Man, someone was watching a video this week, and, and I, I kind of heard it, and then I, I, I looked at it, and I was like, this is so powerful. I'm going to share this on Sunday. Anybody know how bamboo grows? Bamboo, bamboo is amazing. Bamboo takes five years for it to grow. This, and this is what I mean. You bury bamboo, I guess it's a seed. I'm sure it is. <laughs> and for five years, you have to water it. And fertilize it for five years, and you won't see anything grow. 
Nothing will come up for five years. How many of you would give up in five months? How many would give up in five days? So what happens is, you imagine um, um, watering and, and fertilizing and tending to this plant that nothing's coming up and dream colors coming along and they say, what are you doing? Well, I'm fertilizing my bamboo. It's like, well, there's nothing coming up. What's your plan B? <laughs> Throat punch. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep watering. Well, you know, you're, you're probably wasting time. Look at all these trees around here. You should have planted something else. And you want, you're right on the edge of wanting to give up. But some says, man, I'm at four years and 364 days. And you're ready to quit. Because nothing's happened. And I just want to challenge you, go out the next day and water again. Because this is what happens with bamboo. Bamboo. After five years of water and fertilizing, when nothing happens, all of a sudden it shoots up. And within five weeks, it grows 90 feet. Imagine that. We are this close to our destiny if we don't give up. Joseph ends up becoming the second in command in the most powerful nation in the world of Egypt. When he had that dream, I'm sure he didn't have Egypt in mind. But God did. There's a famine in the area. Joseph is in charge of distributing food. Where his father and brothers live, they're starving, so they have to go to Egypt. And they bow down to Joseph <laughs> to beg for food. Then there's this great reveal. Joseph says, hey, I know you thought I was dead. It's me. <laughs> and instead of embracing the moment, they're afraid. They're afraid because of the guilt that they've been carrying for years. How many of you know that the, we're the worst on each other? And I'm talking to us about Christians. We shoot our wounded. We, we offer very little in the way of grace to each other. Because if it doesn't fit our paradigm and we move people out of the way. We're all guilty of that. If it doesn't fit in the way that we think about the world and our worldview, we say, well, I'm not going to offer grace. Yeah, you, need, you need forgiveness. Well, we're to offer forgiveness. And that's the hand that Joseph extends to his brothers. You know, this whole time, he could have built up bitterness, resentment, and said, you know, I know this dream's going to come true. Because I believe when he was in prison after Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife accused him of rape, as he's in prison, he, I, I'm sure it crossed his mind. He's like, Lord, I didn't think this is what you had in mind. When he's sold into slavery, I'm, I'm sure he's thinking, God, 
how is this part of it? But he remembered the dream. And he remembered that the dream came from God and not from himself. When you know that the dream comes with, from God, you know that God's promises are yes and amen. And so you can hold to his promise because God never lies. And so when we hold on to that promise, that'll get you through the time that you're in a pit. That'll get you through in a time that you are in slavery, when you are in bondage. That'll get you through when the time that when the world is turning against you, that will get you through. And you have to hold on to that. And you also have to be mindful, the same mindset, because Joseph, he, he embodied the mind of Christ in all this. After, at the end of all this, when, when the reveal happens and his brothers are there and his dad dies, his brothers are afraid. He said, no, not our dad is dead. Man, Joseph's probably really going to take it out on us. They're still holding on to that guilt. They're still holding on to that shame. They don't understand that this was part of the process. This was part of the, the assignment because Joseph, he, he, he reassures them. I, I love the way that the New King James reads. It says this, uh, it, um, it says, then his brothers also went, and this is Genesis 50, verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive that is good news so your dream isn't about you it's about those who are going to be saved it's not just about you it's not about you fulfilling a fantasy it's about those who are going to be set free because you decided to pursue your passion when you pursue what you're passionate about guess what it gives the rest of the world that's looking in on you permission to pursue theirs and it will set them free. So many of us are in bondage to, to lies, to circumstances, to other people because we bought into something that wasn't true about what God created us to be. And so when we say, no, God, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to wrap my arms and my head around what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're saying so that other people can be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he'll make your path straight. God bless you. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.